Now, if you have your Bibles with you, would you please open them to the Gospel of Luke? Uh, We are continuing today in chapter 21. We're going to go to the very end of the chapter today. And actually, we're ending our time in the Gospel of Luke uh, at this time uh, this fall. And starting next Sunday, we will begin uh, what we normally do annually here at The Rock, an Advent series for Christmas. And then we'll be doing uh, another series, mini-series in January and coming back into Luke in February so that it's perfectly lined up for Easter Sunday in the Gospel of Luke, which is pretty amazing how that will end. So we will be finishing Luke in the springtime. Um, Before uh, we go into today's uh, message and text, I thought I would take a few minutes and speak with you all this morning, all uh, seven of you here with me this morning, and those of you who are online. And yes, um, we are back to where we were many, many months ago, where we are uh, broadcasting live, yes, here on Sunday mornings from Uh, our ministry center, the Ledge Community Coffee House, but uh, we are no longer gathering in person the number of people that we allowed to register and so forth because of obviously what's going on in our community. So I I wanted to speak to that for just a moment. Um, We're now almost, as far as I can tell, eight and a half months into this global pandemic. Uh, And then on top of that, we all personally, individually, we have the usual suspects of uh, trials and tribulations and struggles in our lives and challenges. Um, And then there's, of course, the unsettling global, political, geo-economic climate, et cetera, that's going on in our world. Um, Basic human relations seem to be, uh, let's put it this way, uh, more tense than ever. And so I think it's true that for many of us, it can become a little bit more than overwhelming in these days. And so now we're full on into a second wave of COVID. Uh, And it's honestly not looking good. Um, It's not looking good. We have more lockdowns. We have social gatherings canceled, like church, uh, an increased sense of loss, great loss, simple but important needs that we all have, which are like, well, yeah, getting together as the church and gathering together as the church. That's an important need, but also just simple meals. Janice and I, you know, talking about we were, this is the year where our children who have grandchildren uh, would come to Squamish for Christmas and of course, Matt and Ann are here, but rather than go to the other families for Christmas, and, and we're now looking at that maybe not being able to happen. And so just even having uh, meals with our friends and having those people over, uh, celebrations like birthdays, anniversaries, Thanksgiving, Friendsgiving, that's a real tradition here in Squamish, and like I said, soon Christmas 2020, it's looking like it's going to be very minimalistic to say the least. So I know you know that uh, despite all these things, things are not all bad, right? Things are not all bad. We're still extremely blessed people um, and fortunate in many ways, but it doesn't change the fact that for many of us, and certainly many in our community, there are many who are struggling emotionally, many who are struggling physically, mentally, and yes, spiritually. And so for this morning... Um, these are the reasons why I want to say a couple things to you and I really encourage you as the church this morning. And that is, is that, look, this is the best we've got. Streaming live is the best we've got. And so we need to do it. We need to be here for one another. Um, we need to be here for one another online and in this place as worship teams and as servants here uh, to be able to do this for you, but also to have you come. And listen, you need this. We all probably need this today more than we've ever needed it. 
And it may not feel like we are actually being together, but we are. We're being together. And you can do that by saying hello and greeting people online. And it's been great to be seeing that even when we were doing in person where uh, our Connect team was encouraging you to say, hello, good morning, how are you? But I want to encourage you, as hard as it is to look on your phone, on your tablet or on your laptop or even on your television at a live-streamed worship and word gathering, I want to encourage you that we need to do this. We really, really need to do this. We need to do it for each other. And listen, we also need to do it for the men and women who have been following us online for the past three, four, five months, and some of whom have been coming here during our in-person gatherings, whom many of us have never met. We've never actually met them. And so they need to see the church doing that. Finally, on that note, may I encourage you, listen, I understand how horrible Zoom is. <laughs> I understand. But Missional Community Group is incredibly important. The Christian life, I know you know this, is not a solo journey. It's not a nuclear family journey. It's a family of God journey. We need to be in community together. We need to share with one another. We need to be open and honest. Last Tuesday night, I was the first time Janice and I could be in our community group uh, because we were taking a course for six weeks. And I got to tell you, it was just a really precious time, but also there was a time of, and, and it just was uh, spontaneous, a time of repentance and prayer and confession with each other. It's incredibly important. It's not a perfect venue, but it was incredibly important. So let me encourage you with that. And so with all that in mind, <laughs> I hope what you're going to see today is this passage, this text, from the very words of Jesus over 2,000 years ago, or approximately 2,000 years ago, is so ridiculously relevant to right now. I know it might seem unusual to say that, especially as I read the text for us this morning, and then I'll pray again as we normally do. So do that with me, would you? I'm going to begin reading in chapter 21, verse 34, the words of Jesus to his disciples and to you and I here today. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But listen, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to hear him in the temple. They came to hear him. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death. For they feared the people. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, yeah, Father, we are so thankful that uh, we know you, we can know you, more importantly, that you know, you know us, that you are fully aware, Lord, about everything that's going on in this world today, fully aware. You're also fully aware, Lord, of our hearts, you're fully aware of our fears. So, Lord, we ask you today that you would, you would comfort us. Holy Spirit, you are our comforter. 
we pray that you would comfort us. But also we ask you today to illuminate our minds so that we may understand and hear these words from Jesus, understand how helpful and how beautiful and how wonderful they truly are. Help me, Lord, as I tell this story and, and try to help each one of us understand the good word that Jesus had for us and has for us today. And so, Lord, be with us, I pray. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So again, today, all I have for you is a sermon title. Uh, and no three points, or it could be probably seven or eight points, but the sermon title is, Keep Watch Over Yourself. I think that's the main point of this chapter or this passage. So coming at the end of this great chapter, these words from Jesus, I think if, you, if you've just joined us today uh, and you haven't been following along in chapter 21, this amazing chapter, then this, this, uh, this might sound a little weird to be hearing these things. It might seem a little isolated. So it, it's important, I think, that we do go back and recap a little bit of the context of where we're at in this story so far. It's remarkable, this chapter and the things that Jesus has been saying. And this is, of course, the end of his marvelous sermon and also his prophecy to his disciples in that day and to you and I about the things that will happen and did happen and still will happen. So as you know, the the chapter opened on Wednesday morning. This is now Wednesday night, approximately, in that last week of Jesus' earthly life before his crucifixion. And, and uh, it's interesting, Jesus is in the temple, of course, and, and people are coming in. You remember the story of the poor widow, and you've got the, these rich people coming in and laying in all of their large offerings, which was awesome, and making a lot of noise and show about it. And then Jesus calls his disciples aside and says, hey, come here, come here, watch this. And this poor widow comes in, and she throws in her two small copper coins that hardly make any kind of sound. And Jesus points that out to these men. However, her offering was seen on that day. Maybe not her, but it was seen on that day. And we're reading about her today. We don't even know her name, but she is in the Word of God. So following this event, we saw that Jesus and his disciples begin to leave the temple. And again, they're they're heading towards uh, the Mount Olivet, which is why this is often called the Olivet Discourse. And as they're doing that, some of the disciples look back and they marvel. They look at this amazing temple and they're, they're actually not just marveling at it, they're kind of adoring it, right? They're kind of like really idolizing it. They're looking at how noble the stones are, which it was incredible how it was, or, um, how many stones and, and jewels were on it, but also the walls, one of the walls was made of pure gold, several inches thick gold, and they're just marveling at it. And as they're looking at that, this is when Jesus breaks into his prophecy and sermon. And it's interesting, following on after this poor widow and the other rich offerings, these men are looking at this materialistically amazing building, and Jesus opens his sermon with these words. As for these things that you see, the temple, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So as we've already seen, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. Not one stone will be lying on top of another is the way he predicts it. And so as he's doing this, of course, the disciples want to know, well, when will these things be? Like, not only when, timing-wise, but what will be the signs of this? 
Now, we're not told why they want to know what the signs would be, but we would imagine uh, maybe, maybe they would want to mount some kind of a, a defense. We don't know exactly. Or maybe they would want to run for the hills, right? Because obviously they know who would be about this. So most importantly, it appears, what they wanted was to know the signs leading up to the event. And so Jesus continues with these words, which won't be on screen, but you remember these words. His next words to them were, so listen. Based on that, based on those events, here's what you need to know. Do not be led astray. Don't be led astray. These are his first words to them about what's going to happen during the period coming up to this destruction and maybe even during it. And it's a warning to them to not believe something or someone who's going to come along and tell them something that's not true. His words are essentially this, do not follow them. And so, it's rather clear that Jesus knows the future, and He knows that in that future, some of them, some of His own disciples will, in fact, be led astray. It's not just His fear that that might happen, He literally knows it's going to happen, and they will follow after false messiahs and false teachers. But when? That's the question. When will they be tempted to follow after the wrong people? So Jesus answers these questions with his prophecy. He says, for starters, it will be when they hear about great wars, uh, wars that are so great that they will be terrified, and then he tells them that these wars, these are just the beginning. Great news, right? (laughs) There's going to be great wars, and you're going to be afraid of these wars, and you're going to be frightened, and that's just the start. That's the way he put it. It's just the beginning of these things. So, well, he means to say that What he was really trying to get across from this is actually, listen, the end will not happen all at once. The end of what all I'm going to be saying to you now is not going to happen all at once. Some of these things will come true. So he goes on to say that nations will rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences. You all remember those things. And then if that's not frightening enough, he warns them that they will be persecuted. They will be thrown in prison beaten, rejected, and betrayed by their own family members, and a few of them will, in fact, be killed. And why? Again, as I said last week, because they're loving their neighbor? No, because they're proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. They're proclaiming the risen Christ whom the people of Israel had crucified as their Savior and as the only way to God. And that's why they would be persecuted. He he then adds that they will be hated, as obviously we've suggested, by their own family members and literally by all the people. And then he tells them when, in fact, the temple will be destroyed and what the signs will be. And of course, we know 35 years later, the temple in Jerusalem was completely reduced to rubble. And later that summer, the city of Jerusalem was sacked and destroyed. So one key thing that we learned through all of this was that prophecy, that prophecy in particular, this prophecy in particular, served two purposes. First, to tell them about the things in the future that would, in fact, happen. But secondly, these words of Jesus were to inform them about how they were to live in their future and the near future that was coming. 
So these were life applications. These were to be lessons so they would understand what they were up against and therefore how they needed to live. So next, as we learned last Sunday, Jesus then prophesied about the far future, the future well past the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, well beyond the times of their days and their lives, and of course, surrounding His second coming. I mean, I mean they, had, they had yet to see Him die, be buried, and resurrected, and ascended, even though Luke is writing these things well after those things. They hadn't seen these kind of things yet. And so he's telling them about these things. So yes, he's speaking about that future event in their physical presence. But again, as we saw, this was no longer about their future, about their new, near future, but it was about the far future. And so his audience then is actually you and I. His audience is actually us. This is who he's speaking to in this time and in this place. And as I said last week, which may sound surprising, but the truth is, in that day, it was their far future, actually a far future that they would not experience. Some of them hoped for it. Some of them actually expected it. It did not happen. So what is also true is this. This is now our near future. So in addition to the signs of earthquakes and famines and pestilences, Jesus said that those days, those days leading up to his second coming, that those living in those days would, and, and those times will see in the cosmos on the earth, which will, signs of course, that will lead to this, people actually fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Listen. I think it's rather true that as we look online through social media, we talk with family, we talk with friends, we, we look at people's hope and expectation, what, for the second coming of Jesus? No, for a vaccine, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. There are people fainting, in fact, with this fear, giving in to this fear and foreboding. And so finally... We saw last week that Jesus gave us this amazing parable of the fig tree, just a simple little story about this fig tree and all the trees actually, which we learned is most likely the best clue that we have and that we can find in Scripture about the actual timing of the second coming of Jesus. And that clue is this, even though we will not, no one will know the day or the hour the reality is Jesus said in that little parable that the people in that generation would sense the season. They would sense it in their hearts. They would. And it's now at this point in that story, on that one day, in that one sermon and that one prophecy that Jesus says this, but watch yourselves. Watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Three things, dissipation, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. So, so I'm not sure actually how you hear this when you hear these words from Jesus, right? But my first question was, 
did the disciples have a drinking problem, right? Like, I mean, honestly, like you're sitting there and Jesus has been prophesying these things, really uh, cataclysmic things that are coming upon them, persecution, death even for some of them. And by the way, by the same token, stop getting drunk. Where, where is this coming from? right? I mean, listen, you've read the Gospels, we've read the Gospels. Do you, do you see any evidence in the Gospels that, that any of the disciples had a drinking problem? I don't. I don't see it. I mean, we know that Jesus, what? He, he turned water into wine. And it was at the end of the wedding where there had been a lot of wine already, but he brought the best wine, which is really the point of the story. We also know that in the Gospels, the Pharisees and the scribes, those who really didn't like Jesus very much at all, no, they hated him, uh, they described him as, as a what? As a glutton and as a drunkard. Why? Because he had meals with sinners, right? But the truth is, there's no evidence of any of this going on in the life of his disciples in those days. We also know the truth is this, Jesus never got drunk with wine. Jesus never sinned. So what exactly is going on here? What is this? Well, there's two key words here. Jesus is, again, you've got to think about it this way. Jesus has been talking about the future. He's been talking about events. He's been talking about people who are going to persecute them. He's been pointing away from them. And all of a sudden, two most important words in this text. Watch yourselves. It's the most important two words, and it's the key. So first, we should understand that, yes, Jesus was talking directly to his disciples in that day because they were going to experience some really, really horrible things by A.D. 70 and after that as well, but also clearly, he's concluding his sermon, his prophecy. He's referring ahead to their near, near future, the days leading up to A.D. 70 and the destruction to come. And it's interesting how Jewish historians and, of course, the apostles' writing give us ample information about what that looked like in those days. By about A.D. 70, which is about 25 years after this story that we're reading about here, about these days, a number of Roman governors had come and gone. Um, and then one appeared uh, who could only be described as the much-feared Nero. Uh, he was the infamous one who, at one point in his persecution of Christians, used their dead bodies as lanterns in his gardens. True story. Despite all that, the typical Jew, and even Christians in that day, the, the typical Roman, really expected him to make life better, because he was also doing a lot of marvelous things for the city, etc., and that there would be great peace and prosperity under this man's rule. So just like Jesus told us previously in Luke about another sign of his second coming, would be that people were going to be going about their daily lives just as they did in the days of Noah. And you remember that in Luke 17, I believe it is, earlier we saw that where Jesus was saying, look, at just as in the days of Noah, what would people be doing? Well, just like they were in AD 60, buying and selling, growing crops, tending herbs, woodwork, uh, leather work, money changing, right? Uh, pottery, the daily round of temple sacrifices, going to church. They could gather back in those days, right? Uh, having music and celebrations, seasonal feasts, people getting married and having babies, all of this going on, living their lives oblivious to the fact that the judgment of God is coming. 
And it did. In the days of Noah. And it did in AD 70. As well in the church at that time, divisions were developing over those whose theology wasn't quite right. Even back then in the early church, they had this problem. Whether people were of Paul or Apollos, right? They had their favorite preacher, the one who preached really hard. Some people liked that. Others, not so much. Others liked, you know, the Chuck Swindoll, you know, the Apollos, you know, the the kinder, gentler preacher. I like him too. He's awesome. But people were picking that way, whether one could be truly saved if they had not been circumcised. It was a deal back then, right? And then, of course, add that to the fact that it had been many years since Jesus ascended and he still hadn't returned. So wait a second, wait a second, what happened there? Can we trust the Word of God? Can we actually trust the Word of our Savior? It was a discussion. So listen, rather than what they should have been doing, which was watching themselves in those days and how they lived their lives as faithful Christians, they too took their lives off of themselves and started focusing on the faults and the errors of others, whether the political, the governing authorities, or their own pastors, elders, and of course, brothers and sisters in the church. Doesn't happen today. Friends, I would suggest that this is happening today at what I'm going to call an epidemic rate in the church. I mean, do I even need to point out that over the past many years, past four or five at least, um, some of the most vocal people online, on social media especially, who are vocally critical about those who are appointed to be over us and governing over us are who? Christians. Christians. It's at every level of government and leadership, by the way. At every level, municipal, provincial, state, country, school, authority in general. They're all terrible. They're all doing the wrong thing. And they're definitely wrong about masks and self-isolating and shutting down churches. I got up this morning, honestly, I'm reviewing my notes. I know I shouldn't have been looking at social media, but I did. And, and three pastors who I know in British Columbia were going on about the most recent uh, uh, rules and regulations that we cannot gather here this morning, but you can go to a bar. It's going on. But it doesn't stop there. Personally, honestly, I, I wish for the days of the early church, and, and what appears to have been really one dividing thing in the church. And it was really, the, the, the dividing thing was, again, this, this circumcision issue, but it was really, the, the dividing thing was between faith in Christ alone for your salvation. In, in the finished work of Christ alone, apart from the law. And, and then there were the Judaizers, the other sect or division in the church, which was all about, no, 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 that's really great. The gospel's awesome, and yes, you need Jesus, but got to have the law too. That was really primarily the big argument in that day. I want to suggest to you today, God's Word is questioned in a thousand different ways. Did God really say? <laughs> it's about everything. It's about everything, a thousand different ways. False teaching is rampant. And listen, almost every pastor, elder, church leader, and Christian 
who holds to a traditional and orthodox teaching of God's word is under attack or mocked for believing these things. A lot of reasons behind these things. Remember what Jesus is telling us to do here. Watch yourself. Stop complaining and criticizing everyone else. I saw an article that was um, shared and posted in the last couple of weeks by, by a number of pastors, actually. Uh, I, I was kind of hoping that some people in the church might share it, but maybe nobody saw it. I didn't want to share it, but I'm going to share it with you this morning. And, and of course, every pastor that I saw who was sharing it said, now listen, I want to share this with you because I just want you to understand these are some problems, but I, I'm not thinking what the title suggests. You know what the title of the article was? Six, reason your pa- six reasons your pastor is about to quit. I'm not thinking of quitting, although most pastors do on Mondays, every Monday. <laughs> it, it, it seems to work that way. Let me, let me just highlight a couple of the reasons for you. The first is pastors are weary from the pandemic just like everyone else. Just like everyone else, but, but again, I, I just want to be honest with you. I didn't sign up for this camera. <laughs> I signed up for you. For, I signed up to be with you. I signed up to share the Word of God with you. And so there's, there's, there's that anxiety that um, we have to deal with. It's just unique to us. Number two point they suggest is this. Pastors are greatly discouraged about the fighting taking place among church members during this pandemic. We're not just watching ourselves. We're not doing what Jesus asks us to do, which is watching ourselves. We're watching everybody else, and everyone is incredibly critical. You may not be hearing it, but, but I have. Number three, pastors are discouraged about losing members and attendance and people watching online. <laughs> I'll just add that. That wasn't in there. Of course they are. Why? Why? Well, because people aren't listening to me? No. Because people aren't being there for each other. It's discouraging. It's very discouraging. Pastors don't know if their churches will be able to support ministries financially in the future is number four. I'm grateful for very, very faithful people in our church, especially recently, uh, who have been helpful, and so that's not a worry or a reason that I would ever consider quitting, regardless. Number five is interesting. Criticisms against pastors have increased significantly. I've heard this said before that, listen, um, as a preacher, you need, to, you, need, you need a thick skin, you know? You need to not take things personally. Um, you know, it comes with the territory. No, it shouldn't. <laughs> Any more than it should come to the territory that you're a member of a church and you should take criticism. But I just want to share this with you from my heart and tell you that's the hardest thing for me this past nine months. And you know what the root of it is? I'm just going to say it. It's called gossip. It's about, it's about gossip about your pastor, about your elders, about other people in the church. What does that look like? Let me tell you. Someone comes to you and says, do you know what this person did to me or to someone I know? That's a gossip. And the minute you say, no, tell me, you're now gossiping. that Jesus gives us a way to deal with those things. Friends, 
This is a horrible thing. It creates great division. It, it also creates what happens back in point number three, people leaving the church and not attending the church. Lastly, number six, the workload for pastors has increased greatly. Now, some of you might be saying, come on, how? <laughs> it just has. I'm not complaining about any of these things. Trust me when I say this. I love our church. I love the fact that I get to do what I get to do. I'm glad that I'm just one of us. I'm not more important than anyone else. But these are things, and these are things, friends, that are caused by this. They're caused by us. Rather than watching ourselves, we're looking around at everybody else, and we're finding imperfection. Go ahead. It's here. And we're being critical about it. We're being critical about it. To all of this, Jesus is saying to our generation, listen, this too is a sign and what I'm telling you to do first is watch yourself during these challenging and difficult times, the times that we're in. Pay attention to your own self, your own sin, your own failings. Repent now and listen. Love one another. You cannot say you love God but hate your brother or your sister. So if you, we, and yes, of course, I, do not do that, then look at what will likely happen. We will what? Jesus says in this text, we will then, we will all then become weighed down by three things, dissipation, drunkenness, and cares of this life. Three of them. People get fixated on the first two, dis, uh, dissipation and drunkenness. We need to focus on that and think of what, he, what he's actually saying. But cares of this life is another one. Weighed, weighed down carries the connotation of carrying a heavy burden. And Jesus amplifies it by saying that these things will trap us. Us. All of us. We won't be able to escape their grip. So here's a question for you question for all of you watching here today, all of us here. How much do you think alcohol consumption has increased in British Columbia during COVID? I'll tell you, 50%. 50%. It's considered an essential service, by the way. In the past nine months, it has increased by 50%. So let me ask you again, are any of you caught in that trap? Are you? I think all of us need to reflect on that. I know I do. We need to be careful. So friends, let's be honest here. Dissipate is a very interesting word. It's a very interesting word. Uh, from the English, you may get the idea. Better, remember in science class, you got, a, you got a glass full of really clear water, and you take a little eyedropper of uh, food coloring, you know, nice bright red, and, and you just put one little drop in it, and what happens? It dissipates. You can hardly see the red anymore. The water looks pretty clear, right? Some people would equate that word dissipate with evaporate. Or, or maybe that in this text, Jesus, Jesus is getting at the idea that if you're not watching yourself appropriately, you're going to get weighed down, and, and it's going to lead to your faith dissipating. It's a good idea. It's not totally a wrong assumption. But here's a, here's a newsflash. The Greek word literally means this. Hangover. <laughs> so, so what Jesus is getting at is you've got to watch yourselves, otherwise you'll be weighed down and you'll be getting drunk 
all the time, and that will result in a cycle of getting drunk and having a hangover and getting drunk. Get the picture? That's what he's actually getting at. And that's, of course, what one gets from a long bout of drinking. I saw this quote from C.S. Lewis. I thought it was interesting. He said this at one point. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. It's great. I always knew that a bottle of port would do that. And then he said, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. So it is going to get hard. It's going to get hard. And so Jesus' first word for us is, watch yourselves. So listen, once again, we must see that Jesus, yes, was speaking to those disciples in that day, on, in that place, by the Mount of Olives, um, about their new, near future, but he's also speaking directly to you and I here today, to what was their far future, but is certainly our near future. And let me ask you this honestly again this week. Do you see the signs? Are you starting to see the signs like now? Today, have you been noticing the leaves on the trees? So Jesus has given us this warning about what might weigh us down in these days, and he's given us the first action we should take. Watch yourselves. Start there. And, and listen, he, he, this, this is repeated throughout the Scripture. Paul, in, in Acts uh, 20, this won't be on screen, but in Acts 20, he's speaking to the elders in the churches that he's appointed, and he says this. Listen, guys, before you attempt to watch the flock, care for the flock, pay attention to yourselves. He says to the leaders, the pastors, the elders in the church, listen, first of all, watch yourselves. I mean, how can you care for a flock if you yourself are dissipating? If you're not watching yourselves first. It's repeated throughout Scripture, this watch yourselves, watch yourselves. And so Jesus concludes by leaving us with a few more helpful, helpful things to do in these days. It's beautiful. We saw last week that before His second coming, rather than walking down with our heads down and moaning and groaning about the way the world is going and about the, the most recent president or prime minister or this rule and that regulation or whatever it might be, rather than moping about it, Straighten up. Lift your head. Look up to God. I mean, Jesus ascended, right? He's coming back that way too. Look for Him. He gives us that incredibly encouraging statement. And then He says this today, and I'll put these words up as His conclusion for today. In verses 36 and 37, He says this, but listen, here's some more helpful hints. Stay awake <laughs> at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. It's a promise. And to stand before the Son of God. So, so to say stay awake, he isn't saying 24-7, is he? No. What he's saying is in your waking hours, be alert, right? Be on guard, like be watching yourself, be, be, be seeing the signs of what's going on, be, be about proclaiming the gospel and the name of Jesus. And listen, how hard is that going to be if two things have taken place? You're waking up with a hangover. And, and, and also, by the way, that word drunkenness can be also applied metaphorically to be drunk with wine, 
but it also can be drunk with pride, drunk with power, drunk with success, drunk with worry, staying up late at night, worrying about the cares of life, waking up exhausted, and not being truly awake and alert. This is hard to do. Then he says, while you're alert, pray. I don't know about you, but I seem to have been praying more when I'm worrying late at night and I can't sleep. Pray. He says, be in constant prayer. For what? For strength. And so that you can escape. Meaning, live well through these days which will happen. And finally, he says, stand. And stand where? Before your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Either in the millisecond after you die or when he comes again. So let me just close by encouraging you with this. Please don't take this to mean that if you don't watch yourself carefully as a Christian, that if you do get drunk and have a hangover or are worrying about the cares of life in ways that you shouldn't be during these days, this is not to suggest that you will lose your salvation. Oh, you will lose (laughs) your health. You You will lose your effectiveness in this world and in this life today. The Apostle John, in one of the last books that he wrote, letters that he wrote, makes it really clear for us what we will lose when we stand before our Savior. This is near the end of his life. This is like A.D. 90. And he wrote these words in 2 John verse 8. Watch yourselves. Oh, there it is again. Watch yourselves. So that, look, you may not lose what we have worked, I would add, so hard for, but may win a full reward. Friends, there are rewards in heaven. Not all of us are going to receive all the rewards, the full reward. I believe Jesus wants us to understand. You want to. You really do. Pray with me, would you?